share them the problem that you're looking to solve and allow them to be creative in solving that problem because that's the only way that they'll learn and that's the only way that they'll grow and you'll be surprised with the results that you'll get. You are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show, brought to you by Focivity, where we answer your questions and simplify information security for small businesses. Get the clarity you need to focus on the things that matter. Welcome to the Mindful Business Security Show. This right here. This is episode one. While it might not seem like it, that is a huge milestone because it means we have actually started and produced a show. We're glad you're listening today. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment and share it with somebody that might find it useful. We want the show to help others and we need your help to do that. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done that already. Today, we're going to talk about hiring and developing cybersecurity talent in small to medium-sized organizations. And then we'll go to the phones to answer some questions. My guest host for the episode is a longtime industry veteran. He's currently a senior manager and cybersecurity consultant at a household name fintech company. Throughout his career, he's been a chief information security officer, a strategist, a professor, and a coach. He's currently celebrating the launch of his newest book called Hack the Cybersecurity Interview, a complete interview preparation guide for jumpstarting your cybersecurity career. When he isn't writing books, he hosts the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast and is very active in the cybersecurity community on Twitter and LinkedIn. I've asked him to join the show today because of his passion for coaching and mentoring people, as well as helping small businesses reduce risks and friction to become more resilient by hiring and developing entry-level talent. I'm excited to be joined by our amazing guest host today. Welcome to the show, Christophe Foulon. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to go behind the scenes of the accidental CISO. That's right. <laughs> this is awesome. It's been great having you uh, help out with this episode. I really appreciate you uh, coming on board to be our first guest host. Um, since you're hosting a podcast uh, and have written books on breaking into cybersecurity, I want to start out, I think folks would be interested to know how you broke into cyber originally. Well, I started in Hubdesk. I moved my way up, um, infrastructure support. Um, then I started leading teams from three to 60 and really started to want to focus more on security. But back then, there wasn't security titles. You did security in help desk where you, I helped a smaller regional bank configure onboarding and offboarding rules. I helped them create role-based access control back in the day with Excel spreadsheets so that they fully understand who had access to what. And throughout the years, always was involved with security, but never had the quote unquote title until more recently. So when I officially had the title, I decided that I wanted to share my journey because others were dealing with the same problem. They wanted to get into cybersecurity. They're already doing security in their role, but they just don't have the official title. So what do they do? And the podcast chronicles over the past four years of individuals that have come in through different ways from doctors to librarians to salespeople and then military veterans amongst others that have found their way in and share tips and tricks along the way. Nice. That seems to be a really common pattern that I'm noticing too with with people getting into security and having winding paths and coming into it from different different angles and, you know, not always through IT as well uh, as, as the, the field is growing and, and maturing and developing and, and the titles are starting to become, you know, more standardized finally now. But uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting to see uh, why, and be able to watch this field developing that way. 
for example, there's so many different intricate aspects to security. There's uh, security awareness where you need teachers and marketers to be able to make security be something that they're concerned about personally. And if they're concerned about it personally, then they're more than likely to implement it in their lives and then implement it at work. Um, if you have that culture change for the individual, you're likely to gain that culture change for the organization. But you also want to ensure that your organization is also going through that transformation. And that counts from the top down. So if your CEO might be running um, OSTs for the past 10 years when the retention is just for the past five years, that introduces five years worth of potential risk that the CEO is walking around on their machine. And an OST, that's the email archive in their Outlook application on their, their computer, correct? Yes, it is. That is a lot of data. It, it, it is. And I, I think like those are the things that you see on the help desk front that you might not see in the security front other than saying, oh, well, we should introduce rules to prevent them from creating it. But that only usually comes up if you're following a specific standard that mentions it or if there is an audit finding most of the time where an auditor brings it up. Outside of that, most people overlook that function of Outlook altogether. That brings me to the, the next question. Uh, why is it so important to hire and develop cybersecurity talent? You want to hire and develop security talent so that you can work towards creating a pipeline of people. There is going to be a, even with the best culture, uh, a number of attrition that you'll go through um, as individuals grow in their career, and they might go to another role. If you're developing this talent in-house, you're able to create a pipeline, a path of what individuals need to accomplish when they're moving up the levels from junior to mid to senior. And then you're, you also have an ingrained loyalty to those that have grown up in the path to helping those behind them achieve the results that they have as they grew in their career. There's been a lot of talk in uh, you know the, the news, even the mainstream media has picked up stories about this cybersecurity skills gap that's out there. As somebody who's been kind of studying this phenomenon and writing books about folks that want to break into cybersecurity, uh, what's your take on this skills gap problem? This is a two-pronged coin, so to speak. On one hand, you have small and medium employers that want employees that hit the ground running which means you're looking for stakeholders that have a certain set of skills and they've done the same role in another organization. Problem with that is that severely limits your talent pool to what I call the talent pool of today. If you are properly creating your pipeline, you'd be looking to develop the talent of today, tomorrow, and the future, and creating a pathway for those to come through. For those smaller and medium-sized businesses that might not have the budget or the flexibility to create that pipeline, they often find themselves unable to find the talent because their requirements are significantly more stringent and their budget significantly lower than what they would need to pay an individual that met all those requirements. So there's employers saying, well, we can't find the talent. And then there's talent saying, well, we're not going to work for that little of pay if we have all this experience. So that's where you end up seeing reports of unfilled jobs, things like that. 
the way to counter that is to realistically set your expectations of what you want. Most of the times, job descriptions are copy-pasted or they're mirrored off the individual that just left the role. What managers and HR might fail to consider is that individual has potentially been in the role for one to three years and has grown and developed in those one to three years. So you actually need to subtract those experiences from the job rec for the individual that you're looking to fill. That way there is that room to grow and you'll be now going a little bit lower in the talent pool and you're going to have a larger amount of potential candidates that you can fill from. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, as as organizations are, are starting to hire, uh, especially small and medium-sized organizations, what sort of questions should they be asking as they're preparing to hire cybersecurity talent into their teams? And that could be asking questions of themselves as well, not just of, of the candidates. So questions that they should be asking include, what do we really need to accomplish, as in from a business mission, and where do we see the risks in our organization? And security is really meant to come in to help identify and secure those areas of risk to help the organization achieve their business mission. So that's what you're truly looking for. So a smaller, medium-sized business, it could be, well, we're losing business because we don't have a certain compliance requirement, or we're losing business because they feel that we don't have a proper grasp of our development environment. So those are the types of things that you'll hear from your clients and you'll have to take in as that's a risk that they see that you're you're going to need to fill to be able to um, continue moving on and enabling sales. Yeah, that's great. Those are really good insights. Uh, we've got some callers on hold here with questions about this topic as well. So uh, let's go to the phones. Are you ready? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. Do the cybersecurity risks to your business have you confused? Visit Focivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast. And sign up to be a caller on a future episode. This is our first episode of the Mindful Business Security Show, and you are our first caller. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So I'm Rick from Monroe, Washington, and I'm at a, a hardware software company that's around 75 people currently. Uh, and as we you know, continue to grow, security challenges are becoming more prevalent. And uh, you know, two main things have been coming up. One is because we develop a, a product that has hardware and, and software, like there's a lot of specialties there for security. And then there's also all the IT infrastructure. And should we try to hire for one centralized security organization that spans both skill sets? Or should we actually try to break that into two different organizations and hire independently? to have a little bit more focus on, on experience. And then of course, with that, when is the right time to bring in executive or director roles like director of security or CISO, you know, as we build those organizations? Well, I would say first you want to potentially focus on someone that's more of a generalist just to get things going you want to ensure that you start to have security in in your product from a hardware perspective that you're protecting the intellectual property that's there as well as implementing safe development practices for the hardware that's being developed um, with regards to the IT, I think that comes second for most companies because they're more focused on sales and security should be focused on enabling those sales to continue. So while you're enabling the product to be developed securely, you're working on 
ensuring that the IT systems can help enable sales securely. So that could be potentially a compliance-focused individual that can help with that aspect because you're you're likely going to start to look at SOC 2s and other uh, compliance-focused programs to begin with. Um, when will you start to bring in a director? That would likely be when you start um, increasing in sales dramatically and your one security generalist or two security generalists start to need some guidance and they're having issues with prioritizing day-to-day -day activities versus sales. I think at that point, if the the business itself can't decide that, then you will need someone to lead the security organization and develop out a program that helps balance day-to-day -day activities versus sales. Yeah. And I, th I think it's really going to depend on how the organization is structured uh, with regards to product and IT. Um, and that's going to have to do with the, the size of the organization. And you're sort of in this uncomfortable place in startups. Like in my experience, like companies go through these growing pains at around like 15 or 20 people, and then they start hitting them again around 70 or so. Um, and I don't know exactly why. Like I, th I think it's because like communication structures and things that had been working up to that point of scale start getting more difficult uh, as you start having more people. Uh, but how the organization is structured is gonna gonna play into this. Whether uh, your product team has a a dedicated product security focus, or whether you're going to have security doing IT and product. Um, it can be done either way. I've, I've seen it done either way, but it really depends on sort of the mode of operation that you want to have uh, in the org and sort of the leadership that you have in place as well uh, to be able to, to handle that. If your leadership on the product side is sort of in a good place to run security just for the product and you've got you know other IT leadership on the IT side of the house that can do those types of things. Like you may end up having product security separate from corporate security. Um, I, I like to try to keep them together as much as possible and then maybe potentially have a few dedicated folks that are like embedded, uh, sort of that DevOps model as well, where you end up with somebody embedded from the security team into the product team to help. Uh, so that's something that can that can help there. But I, I like Chris's point about the business drivers and, and what the customer is expecting and, and sales and those types of things. Uh, and the trust that you have to have if, if customers are expecting SOC 2 or some sort of like third-party verification, uh, third-party assessment uh, assurance reports, like those are going to be business drivers that are going to affect how you build the program and how you structure things. And then as far as like the right time to, to add dedicated uh, like executive folks or directors, uh, CISO, or director of security, uh, as you mentioned, it's going to depend on how you're building the program. You know, obviously like frameworks are going to want you to have a security officer named, whether you're doing SOC 2 or NIST or High Trust or, you know, any of these other things, like having that role and responsibility of whoever's accountable, like you're going to have to name that person. And in smaller orgs, you can double that up onto an IT director or a you know CIO or or something like that. Eventually, though, you'll get to that point where the mind share of what the person can think about day to day becomes the the restricting point. Eventually, you get to this point where the the mind share just isn't there for somebody to be able to run all of security and all of something else, and you have to start splitting those things apart. Uh, and and so outsourcing really becomes uh, important in the smaller orgs as well to help ease that. So you know you can leverage uh, consultants to come in to do fractional CISO, just like you would a fractional CFO in in small orgs to bring in that uh, expertise. Outsourcing the SOC, like the the day to day operations and monitoring and stuff, is another thing that's that helps get to a point where you don't have to make that split 
quite as as early. Um, and then you know the org can focus on their core competencies internally and less on building a team to do twenty four by seven monitoring. That's that's a, a huge thing. And then the the last piece, I think at least for when you're going to need a dedicated CISO or, or director of security, somebody really to own the program, it's just going to come down to that, that necessary maturity of the program that the program has to be able to achieve to meet business requirements. And usually at whatever your business driver is, whether it's a regulatory compliance or whether it's customer demand or what have you, whatever maturity level that you're going to need to meet to satisfy that demand, a lot of times is what's going to dictate whether or not you're going to need a dedicated person or not just by the amount of focus that it takes to maintain a program at that particular maturity level. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? That helps quite a bit, actually. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you calling in and, and being our, our first caller. This is really exciting and uh, I appreciate you taking a chance on a brand new podcast. So we're going we're gonna to jump on the, uh, the phones here and jump to our next caller. But thank you very much for joining us and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Welcome to the show. You are our second caller on the Mindful Business Security Show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Tell us your name and you can go ahead and ask your questions. My uh, name is Craig. I currently am working in the business of helping companies when they don't have the cycles to get things done. Um, a lot of managed services, so to speak. So I do come across a lot of cybersecurity and just procedures and questions as to how someone would proceed in that department. Uh, so today, I just have really want to know how to guide an engineer, a new engineer to cybersecurity as to you know, how I can point them in the right direction so they can progress throughout their career. Chris, do you want to you take a first stab? I know this is your wheelhouse. So, Absolutely. I, I wrote a couple of books on the, on the subject, um, not to shamelessly plug, but um, one of them is called How to Develop Your Cybersecurity Career at Any Level. And the second one is called uh, hack the cybersecurity interview. But what I would recommend is that they operate where they are. Start with looking at the technology and infrastructure which they're operating in and look at it from the additional lens from security. So what can we do to improve and enable the business while doing so securely in that area, whether that is cloud, infrastructure, um, identity and access management, you name it, it could even be SaaS. So kind of look look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and add the security lens to it. Okay. Yeah, those are really, really good points. I think I would add to that, uh, security relies really heavily on other teams and departments and functions in an org to to carry out, you know, what you're doing and make sure that your, your controls are functioning uh, because security is oftentimes an assurance function like quality. Uh, So ultimately they're going to need to understand that the business processes and things. So learning to network uh, with the other people in the organization is just as important for security folks as they're approaching a new role to learn about the tech, you know, Learning the, the the network of people inside the organization is just as important as learning the, the technical infrastructure uh, and may even be more important. Uh, getting to know who's responsible for what, uh, you know, these are the folks that you're going to have to lean on to be effective in security. So uh, making sure that you're not looking at it solely as a technical pursuit and looking at the organization as a system and and how how those processes and the people interact as well. Uh, it's going to be huge for being effective in a security role for somebody who's new. And what would be some guidelines to keep a new security hire from feeling overwhelmed with all that cybersecurity encompasses? I would say start with understanding where your gaps are on your team and that allows you to do a gap assessment as to what your team needs then you can tune their training based on the gaps that you have in the team and they can start to fill that. So rather than sending them out to fill everything in security, you're giving them a defined starting point that helps fill out your team and continue their education. 
Okay, so basically keep them keep them contained until they have mastered one set to move on to the next. A absolutely, yes. And, and I think something else to to remember too, as folks are are new, is that stress comes into play when there's a mismatch between expectations and reality, or even perceived expectations, what they think you expect from them and what and and what you actually ex expect from them and reality. Uh, so it's important with new folks to help them from feeling overwhelmed, having that stress response when they're being pushed to grow really quickly uh, is to make sure that the expectations are, are clearly uh, communicated and understood. You know, setting goals, short, medium and long-term goals helps uh, to make sure that they're uh, and make sure that they've got you've got buy-in from them into those goals and that they're that they're comfortable with them. They may be stretch goals, but you want to make sure that you know they're not feeling overwhelmed because they feel like the the goals that have been set out for them are are pushing too far. Uh, right. And and a lot of what we do is invisible, like behind the scenes work as well in security. So making sure that they've got some visible stuff in their project list or their roadmap to, to be able to celebrate those small, quick wins, because that momentum is going to be hugely important as well for them to be able to look back and, you know, celebrate what they did accomplish when so much is is invisible. Just making sure there's there's those nuggets of things in there to celebrate that are visible to other people in the org. Um, and something I struggled early with that that you can help them understand is the organization, other people in the orgs, they don't necessarily know what it takes to do that job. And so don't downplay, you know, use this as an opportunity for, for optics uh, with, with your team as well. Good, good. I'll, I will definitely make sure to take note of that. Um, the last question I had was how can an organization support a new security hire? I think having going back to the expectations that was previously mentioned, ha having a, a documented pipeline for growth is a great strategy to support continuous integration of new folks. So if you continuously hire them in at the intern or the junior level, having a mid and senior level that is clearly defined so that they could see the growth needed to get to that level, and then being able to have the budget to promote mid-cycle when they get to that level to show that you're being appreciated for their growth, and then having that potentially go to the principal or senior principal so that if they're getting to that point where they're potentially at the director level, but they're not a team leader, they want to stay as an individual contributor, having staff levels or levels above that where they get recognized for the individual contributor roles that they do without having to lead a team. Okay. Give them a, a clear defined path to where they need to go. Excellent points. The uh, training is is huge, uh, especially cross-training and something else that uh, I think is really helpful and that I've done with my teams in the past is to have them shadow folks in other departments, uh, you know, customer success or, uh, you know, marketing or, you know, just getting them some some shadow time with other departments is going to help them understand the business as a whole to see firsthand what those other teams are doing. Um, understanding the bigger picture. And I think that is uh, a great way to help train and support folks. Another thing too, that is kind of a, a thing that, that managers end up doing inadvertently because it seems like the right thing to do in business, but like the making, making them justify investment into improving their skills, uh, adding friction to that process uh, of going to a conference or even if it's just like buying a book or something that they want to want to learn or, or doing a, a, a training course like that's a really quick way to take an eager employee and and kind of take the wind out of their sails uh, so be right. really careful like obviously the training has to be relevant uh, if the company's going to pay for it but making sure that there's not so much friction added into that process that that they feel like oh it's not worth asking for for training, they're not going to want to train me. Um, that's that's a, a big area that uh, I think a lot of a lot of managers struggle with, <laughs> because companies obviously do have to be careful with their budgets in small business. But it's it's a really fine line there, right? And and again, it's kind of it's kind of like making sure they don't drink from the water hose. 
Yes. And back to what was said earlier with recognizing the small wins, um, being an advocate to celebrate those wins, they might not see it as a milestone because they've seen the progression day to day. But if right. you take a snapshot, here is where you were last year and here's where you were now. Um, that That's a great way to celebrate the wins along the way as well. Right. And and you've mentioned, you know, drinking from the fire hose, which brought up one one more thought for me, at least, is security folks and IT folks in general have a passion for what they do. Uh, and they struggle with setting healthy boundaries because of it, which can put them in a, a burnout situation if you're not right. careful. So another way you can support them as a, a leader is to make it clear that one, they're not personally responsible for the risk that the business is, is taking on because a lot of them are, are prone to internalizing and, and taking more onto their shoulders than they really actually are or, or should. Uh, and encouraging to, to log off and take their vacation time and that kind of stuff instead of just constantly being driven to work at work and then go home and play in their lab, uh, you right. know, their, their, their geek lab at home. And, uh, <laughs> you know, some of us, that's what we do to, to unwind. But at the same time, like if, if you're too into it for, for too much, you've got to take some breaks. Uh, so that's another way that that's a little counterintuitive for supporting your, your folks is to make sure you tell them to log off and take a break sometimes. <laughs> it's like you, you got to disconnect. If you don't disconnect, it's, it's, it's a, it's an ugly heel down. Man, those were great questions. I appreciate it. Uh, Craig, this was, it was good having you on the show and, uh, I really love having, uh, these great questions on our, our first episode. I think this is gonna be a fantastic episode. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. You are our third caller ever on the Mindful Business Security Show. Hello, how are you? How can we help you today? What kind of questions do you have for us? Hi, I'm so happy to be here. How are you? How are you all doing today? Doing very well here. I'm in South Florida. Awesome. Not in South Florida. I'm in in Northern Virginia, so all all I have is humidity and traffic. So, um, but I love everything that you all are talking about. And the subject is something I'm really subjects. I'm really passionate about. So I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of, of, um, you know, having been at, a, at smaller organizations and, and, and wanting to uh, address the, you know, common challenges. Um, and, and my first question, if it's okay that I have multiple is, I was wondering, um, what sort of risks should a, a smaller or mid-sized organization take when it comes to uh, hiring people that have potential but not necessarily experience? You know, I get frustrated when I hear about this quote-unquote talent shortage, and I think a willingness and an ability in and of itself is in fact a talent. So, how do you how do you handle that um, lack of experience within uh, within the talented pool of people that want to learn? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. Uh, Chris, you've spent a lot of time working with folks that are career changing into cyber and, and working on skilling up as they're going. What are your thoughts on this? I would start with don't underestimate their potential. Give them guardrails to fail, but guardrails. Provide them with your expectations up front so that they know what they need to meet share them the problem that you're looking to solve and allow them to be creative in solving that problem because that's the only way that they'll learn and that's the only way that they'll grow and you'll be surprised with the results that you'll get. That's an awesome perspective. Good thoughts on that. Uh, one of the things that I've come across with small business too is because of all the hats that folks have to wear in smaller orgs, you've got a hard time separating roles and responsibilities and that loss of efficiency that you have as you're trying to bring somebody up is is always sort of that, that effort you have to front load. Uh, but it ends up being really worth it uh, as you go and ways that you can ease that a little bit. Um, lack of defined processes and documentation is going to bite you as you're trying to bring people in because that's really going to impact training to be able to train people consistently. Um, knowing what it is that you do 
already before you're trying to bring in an inexperienced person to do that thing is going to be really, really important. Uh, and another mistake I've seen is, is small businesses that try to bring in somebody more junior without already having an anchor on the team, somebody who is more senior that's willing to guide and coach um, that has sort of that domain expertise. So that's a that's another area to making sure that the organization is ready to do this and bring in less experienced people. Uh, you know, the pay scales, uh, you know, obviously are, are going to be less um, for less experienced people. But if you don't already have somebody to anchor the team, you may not get the the benefit um, that you're looking for there. And you may not also be able to adequately train them up. Um, and then, you know, mistakes are reality. So again, back to define processes, like you've, you, you got to have your, your processes and stuff designed um, as much as you can to prevent mistakes, you know, using automation where you can and include checks and balances in those processes as well. Um, that's another way you can reduce risk of bringing in folks who may not have all of the experience you're looking for is to, to kind of focus on how can you error proof some of the, the critical processes. I would say also allow them to ask questions and be willing to give up that the way that it was done isn't necessarily the right way. Sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was um, hearing you talk about, you know, the we were, we were discussing the lack of experience and having processes in place to take that just a, a, a step further when it comes to how you can help them building, you know, the skills that they need. Are there special programs that you're familiar with or that you have built yourself, um, maybe a boot camp or a training program? Uh, what would you recommend putting in place to help people build those skills? I say, first, you have to start with understanding where you're looking to go with them. So understand where they are and where they need to go. And almost develop a unique training program for them. You'll have a wider set of training for the whole team, but you do want to spend a little more time investing in them to develop something more customized, as well as progress you're looking for them to make. That will allow you to get the, the additional increases in those areas by that customized program. Um, some good resources include sites like Cybrary, where they have really focused cybersecurity training. There's others like Udemy and Coursera that also include labs and things like that. But it really depends on where the new hire really needs additional training. Yeah, those are fantastic resources um, and pretty reasonably priced as well from a subscription standpoint for the business to have those types of things available in the org. That um, cross-training and team shadowing, um, we had another caller earlier on the show that was uh, asking uh, some, some similar stuff. And I was talking a little bit about cross-training and team shadowing. That's another really good thing that you can do uh, by embedding... Uh, team members into cross-functional projects and, and product teams, like having them shadow other people in other orgs helps them understand how the organization works and the types of things that those folks do, and then prepares them to work better cross-functionally because folks on the security side have to rely on folks in other functional departments who are the actual process owners and executors to do things correctly and, and safely. Um, so it's it's always good to include in the training the the a little more visibility across the whole org. Yeah, I really like that. I I would like to take this moment to selfishly give a shout out to the DoD SkillBridge program, um, simply because I do anything I can for active duty and and, and veterans, and I'm an army mom, and uh, uh, it's it's exactly what you were just referring to in the shadowing of the fellowship programs that are no cost to the participants um, is an opportunity for for those uh, active duty service members during the uh, terminal leave process can come in and uh, and and shadow you like exactly what you were referring to so. So thank you for that answer. That was wonderful. 
Um, I guess my final question, if it's okay for me to ask one more is, um, and this is an interesting question. Um, how do you, how do you recommend responding, uh, within reason to an individual who has asked for, uh, less money than you, than you have budgeted or that you know you can afford for the position? I would say if you have already approved bands within your organization, I would offer them within the band that they have, um, the experience to be within or if you don't have approved bands but you do have approved budget for that you can include um, a performance based after say 90 days that will ensure you hedge your your bets so to speak that if they're able to perform at the level that they say they will that they'd be eligible to come up to that full budgeted amount yeah, and I think publishing ranges in job descriptions goes a long way to to help with that. I, a lot of orgs really still shy away from that, but it helps calibrate. Um, you know, the candidates can know whether they're even just wasting their time if the range is going to be way too low for an org. Like it, it helps in a lot of ways to get that information out there. But if it's if it's not published and they come in and say their expectation is significantly below where you budgeted. Uh, just because they don't know what they're worth today, it doesn't mean that they're not going to realize that they're underpaid tomorrow. And so by going with that and making them an offer that's below market isn't really going to help you, um, you know, that kind of opportunistic underbidding or whatever. It's, it's going to result in turnover eventually. Um, and that's way more expensive than paying somebody a fair salary to, to begin with. So I, I've had folks before that come in with with numbers that are, are below and we've surprised them with offers when we offer them market when they ask for like $15,000 below range. Um, and, and that, I mean, you win a lot of goodwill in that with the person because they really feel like, oh, this person actually cares about me. Like I didn't realize that this is what I should be making and they could have just given me what I asked for and I'd have felt okay with it at the time. And they made sure that I uh, am being paid fairly based on market. I mean, that's, that's huge uh, to win loyal employee employees that are, uh, you know, going to stick around and, you know, be invested in what they're doing. I agree. That's an excellent point. And more and more states are making it uh, a federal law that you are, or state law that you have to post it. So <laughs> starting with Colorado. So outstanding thank you so much well i don't have any other questions for you all but i i do appreciate you helping me out today thank you very much and uh have a great day and we'll talk to you soon hey there welcome to the mindful business security show you were the fourth caller ever on uh on the podcast welcome welcome we're glad to have you here tell us uh, who, who, who are we talking to today Speaking to Mike from South Africa. Hey, Mike. Man, South Africa. That is fantastic. What uh, What are you looking to understand better? How can we help you with uh, hiring and developing talent in your small organization? Well, basically, it, my first question would be, how, how do you justify in a small organization where you're lucky if you can get a, a full-time body? Uh, to actually get a specialized skill like uh, an InfoSec specialist? I would look at this not as a cost center, but as a business enabler. And one of the ways that you can do this is you can show the business how security helps the business run smoother, run safer, and mitigates risk. So... For example, you don't want to be the Uber in the news, where if you don't have security, it costs you. Um, that That's one way, but you don't want to run with fun either, fear, doubt, and uncertainty. So you want to show how working with security, you can help do everything smoother from the beginning. I would say the direct answer to your question, generally... No, it's not possible to uh, <laughs> justify a single full-time person to fill a security role in a, a small org until the org reaches a certain level 
of scale and maturity to the security program. Um, at smaller scales, I feel like security is something that may be better to be strategically outsourced uh, to managed service providers, uh, managed security providers, those types of things. So like your your security operations monitoring, um, you know, this is the the computer equivalent of the, the folks, the security guards watching the wall of monitors. That's something that can work well to be outsourced because staffing 24-7 with uh, people with the skills to do monitoring response can be very expensive, whereas it can be outsourced significantly cheaper than that. Um, and your your IT managed service provider, if you have a good one, should be able to provide you, uh, you know, good guidance on security stack and those types of things. Um, and so, using this model of outsourcing carefully on the small end, you can build really effective security programs with somebody as like an IT director, kind of leading security with that responsibility doubled up on them and have them lean on these third-party service providers for implementation. And then, you know, strategy really becomes the key uh, in there for balancing the organization's security needs and responsibilities with other business needs uh, and responsibilities. And once then the program reaches a point that it has to have a dedicated person, like you'll, you'll realize that because that person, you know, the IT director, whoever is running that, like it'll start to become clear that they don't have the mind share to do both all the time at that point. And that's going to be sort of your, your canary in the coal mine at that point. Does that make sense? Was that, was that helpful? No, very much so. And uh, that's pretty much where we sit as, uh, as a business at the moment where we've had, we were forced to outsource it because it's just not a function we can, I mean, I, I barely can justify a full-time body at our scale. Yeah. How large is the organization? Uh, we are about 125 maximum users at any given stage in terms of IT. So you're sort of in that uncomfortable spot with growth. Yes, very <laughs> much so. Point, yes. I think as you continue to grow, looking to bring it back in, or at least to get your first security body in is going to become very helpful because as you grow, you're, you're going to grow into limitations of your MSSP where they might not be able to integrate into your programs, where they might not be able to customize to your alerting or give you the feedback that you're looking for. No, and thank you. It's very valuable insight. So what, are, what other questions do you have for us? Uh, um, my second one would, would run around the whole, how do we as a business actually develop that critical thinking sort of out of the box uh, what is a threat? What isn't sort of mindset? You can teach the, this is an alert and this is how you respond to it. But you, how do you teach that sort of inquisitive nature and that, but this isn't right or this isn't, this doesn't make sense sort of mindset that's not being taught in any textbook or any college. One of the examples that Chris Roberts uses a lot is the example of safety and having a safety-like culture. No one would walk around seeing a, a ladder and someone at the top of the ladder tiptoeing up and not probably warn them that it's unsafe to do that. So we should also have the same sort of ability to give feedback when we see our colleagues doing unsafe practices and having that open culture from the top down is one of those requirements having safety from product idea all the way to deployment is going to be critical so doing things like threat modeling or even just thinking what's the worst that could happen if we didn't have a a firewall or what's the worst that could happen if there wasn't a safety control on this crane like thinking through those scenarios and just asking those simple questions about everything not just it 
in the time I've spent in software development shops, especially like this is something that you absolutely have to teach. Um, and if you build a, a culture that supports people poking holes in what I call the happy path thinking, uh, you know, because there's a lot of folks that don't have the hacker mindset innately that they they tend to think that, you know, the way that it's expected to work is the way it's going to go, whether it's a process or a computer program or uh, or what have you. Uh, and just simply having a culture where people are encouraged to to break away from that happy path thinking and and discuss openly what could go wrong and have it not looked at as poo-pooing the ideas that are being pulled out. Um, because I like that's it's that culture of people that always want to look at the the sunny side and that want to shut down the folks who want to start like challenging underlying assumptions. And that's really what it comes down to is you're, you're challenging the underlying assumptions for how they drew the conclusion of the way the thing is going to work. Uh, and so by having that built into your, your, your culture and your process where you actually invite people here, you know, here's, here's the plan. What can go wrong? And, and just have people brainstorm what can go wrong. And it's not something for people to take personally because it, it's been invited out and you can, you can early on sort of set the stage for that discussion and, and coach and guide. And, you know, this is not, this is not to attack any ideas. This is just looking at where there may be issues. Um, and once you do that for a little while, I think people start having fun with being able to, to poke holes in, in things and, and find this. Uh, and you may find people that really, really enjoy, you know, putting on their, their hacker cap and, you know, how, how can this be used in a way that's not anticipated or not intended and, and break things. So that's a, uh, a big thing to help. And uh, one other thing that a lot of orgs do that works pretty well too, is like lunch and learns and lightning talks um, where you have, have folks share stuff and have folks share topics on this specifically about finding weaknesses and just how maybe they went through or, or little case studies of how some other org went through the process of, you know, thinking through <laughs> what can go wrong. I think my final question would revolve around how, once we've fostered all this wonderful talent in our small business, how do you keep that business, uh, that talent actually inter engaged in the business and not swooning off to the next big thing because we can't offer the salaries and we cannot offer the, the, st the stimulation? Well, uh, attrition will happen. So plan for that. And what you should be doing is working to create a, a pipeline of other folks that are looking to come in. So uh, even as a small business, you could be working with uh, your local schools to create that junior talent to come in um, before your senior talent leaves. The other thing is uh, offer them that buy-in to the mission and that leadership to what they're doing because if they're just being told what to do all the time and they have no ownership in the solution then yes uh, a salary will be all that they need to woo them but if they love what you're doing and they believe in the mission and they have that ownership at work they're like, well, no, you you could pay me a lot more, but I won't have control over this product. Like, this is my baby. And um, even paying me more won't take me away from that. Yeah, that sense of ownership is huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, and pushing back on folks and, and like killing their joy <laughs> is one of the fastest ways to, to drive, drive folks out. So expecting people to just do as they're told and not have ownership, like that's what gives them purpose in what they're doing. Uh, so I, I definitely agree there that making sure that there's ways for them to, to feel ownership uh, in their day-to-day -day job and feel like they've got control over their destiny and uh, you know, how things are going to turn out. Um, it goes a long way. Not pushing back on them as well when they're wanting to learn and grow is another area, like not putting them in a box and that's not your job, like giving them ways to explore 
other areas of the business. And this is a lot easier in small orgs and isn't big orgs. This is one of the areas where small orgs uh, really can excel because of the cross-training opportunities and everybody needing to wear lots of hats. Uh, being able to let people explore other parts of the the organization and, and that kind of thing can really help uh, you know, scratch people's itch for, for learning and personal development and that kind of stuff without having to go other places. Like I know an awful lot of people who stay in jobs for a long time. And the only reason they do is because they're continuing to get promoted and they're continuing to be uh, supported and allowed to grow personally and professionally. And as soon as that, and be creative. Uh, and as soon as the, they start losing those things, that's when they're looking to to move on. So, and, and I think that one of the last things too, and, and we talked about this b before is pushing back on folks when they want to go to uh, conferences or other things like the organization needs to take an interest in their development and, you know, understanding how a conference or, or some, or some training opportunity is related to the job. Like that's important, but at the same time, making somebody jump through too many hoops and they feel like it's not even worth asking to go to a conference. Like once they get to the point where they, it's not even worth me asking to go or to where they're taking PTO to go to conferences that they want to go personally and paying personally, like you're, you're starting to lose that person at that point. No, I think uh, answered my question perfectly. Very good. Well, thank you for, for calling in. This was fantastic. We've had amazing questions and uh, some good discussion on, on this as we've gone through. So I'm very pleased with the way uh, episode one is turning out. So Chris, what are your takeaways from the, the, the show, the conversations we've had with the, the callers, especially, you know, we've, we've talked about when to hire, we've talked about challenges with hiring entry-level folks. We talked about, approaching a new position, training and development, supporting and retaining team members. Um, you know, what, if you kind of wrap all this up and and put a bow on it, what are the, the takeaways that our listeners should, should come away with today? I think the takeaways is that businesses, no matter their size, need to really be a part of the community that helps enable them. So, if you're looking for security talent, your security leadership should be contributing back to that security community. And that way they'll be able to find the security talent at the level that they need, as well as creating that pipeline for the talent of tomorrow. That will allow them better access to candidates and candidates seeing that the organization is devoted to supporting the community and get that goodwill as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The, the community is uh, pretty vibrant as I've got into it. I mean, there's there's a lot going on, a lot of really great folks, a lot of great research going on, a lot of great uh, you know, thought leadership as well, folks uh, speaking at conferences and just thinking about ways that we can drive security forward and and make things better and integrate it in with the business and you know i think uh looking at how we're hiring and developing talent um in our businesses like i mean this is a business problem it's not a technology problem that we're we're dealing with here for sure so any any closing thoughts you want to leave uh leave our listeners with and and also if you want to share where can folks find you online uh folks can find me on linkedin on Twitter, and as well on Medium, cpf-coaching on Medium or cpf-coaching.com or my website. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, this first episode of the Mindful Business Security Show, Chris. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, really, really appreciate your your help to get this off the ground and, and get it going. Appreciate you having me on. It's an honor. Also, a huge thank you to our callers. We wouldn't have a show without you asking the questions. And last but not least, thank you to you. Yes, you, listening to the show right now. It means a lot to us. Be sure to click the subscribe button. And more importantly, be sure to share the show with others, because that'll really help us out. I'm Accidental CISO. Until next time, stay mindful. Don't miss our next episode. 
be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. Visit Fosivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast for show information and links to our social media pages. This has been the Mindful Business Security Show brought to you by Fosivity.